0: going to jump straight in and ask you to use your minds. What is the defining moment of your life so far? Just a nice, easy question to start off with. By defining moment, I mean a moment in your life where you have made a decision that has had a big impact on where you are And who you are. Something that has shaped the path of your life. For some of you, that might be difficult because you might be thinking there's been many decisions I've made that have had a big big impact on my life. For others of you, you may be struggling. Maybe it was who you decided to marry or not, a relationship you decided to end, a job you decided to take, a place you chose to live. What to study at university, perhaps. Or maybe even whether to go to university. Take a moment to think about it. What is that most important moment in your life so far? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask anybody to share. But I wonder what you were thinking about. I wonder how many of you thoughts about your faith as your defining moment, your faith in Jesus as a thing that altered your life for good or for better. For those of you here that do have a faith in Jesus, did that come to your mind really quickly or was it there in the back? And for those of you that haven't, that are searching perhaps this morning, one of the things we're going to be looking at this morning, is the importance of Jesus. Because as we start this new series on the book of 1 John, John the Apostle writes this letter by announcing and sharing the defining moment in his life. It's a moment that he's already shared with his listeners, but he's reminding them of it, of this moment, because John believed the defining moment for his life was not just a defining moment for him, but a defining moment for everybody and it was so significant that it was worth basing his life on and it was worth them basing all their life whole lives on before something not to think of and be in the back of your mind and move on for but something to live from, from that day forward day by day month by month, year by year And that defining moment, as I've already hinted at, is of course, Jesus, his life on earth, his death and his resurrection, and what it means to believe in that and to accept that as truth. So we're looking at these opening four verses today in John, and and John is going to be eager throughout this whole letter to remind the people reading this letter of the importance of Jesus and his continued relevance to their day to day lives, the transforming power and joy on offer to him and to, through him to those who believe of it. It's going to be a really encouraging letter for us all, I think, because we live in a world, don't we, that often tries to deny the truth and significance of Jesus. And John is going to help us as we go through this letter see the significance and the difference. That he can make in our lives, the transforming power on offer to those that believe in. But it's also a challenging letter as well. Because throughout it, John challenges those that are reading it to recognize this importance. And that and the, the challenges them to make an effort in their lives every single day to live lives. That fit in with this transforming power, even when the world tries to pull us away from it. So let's start our walk through this, uh, through this, through this passage, shall we? There's a sermon handout in your newsletters if that is helpful, and also do keep your Bibles open on page one thousand two hundred and twenty-five as well. So. As we start our walk through this letter, we look at these first four verses that Chris read to us. It won't surprise you that John the Apostle starts by talking about Jesus. And and in memory of Philip, I've got three points I want to share with you this morning. The first is this Jesus is eternally relevant. I wonder if it would surprise you, this is actually one of the earliest issues that the early church had to deal with, the relevance of Jesus and how it should relate to their everyday life and behaviour. And John addresses this at the start of his letter by making sure that people understand the significance of who Jesus is. We live in a society that I've already said that is increasingly dismissive and sceptical about the relevance of Jesus to our everyday lives. Belief in Jesus in our society, in this country, is on the decline. Christian values and behaviors are increasingly seen as old fashioned, out of date, and just impractical for modern day living. Many people even view them as dangerous things, values to hold on to. Yet John makes it clear at the start of his letter that Jesus is not just some flash in the pan idealist to remember with mild affection but that Jesus and that also that sorry and also that Jesus was not some man that showed up and just did interesting things during his lifetime but instead in verse 1 was that which was from the beginning Jesus was there we're told from the beginning of time Jesus isn't just a special human That could do things that most of us couldn't. But rather, he was divine. He was from heaven. And in verse 3, we're told that Jesus is the eternal life as well. So he's not just from the beginning. He's the eternal life which appeared from earth. John is being clear that this divine life is in fact God himself. God's son, Jesus Christ. And as we're going to find, he came to earth to transform it. I just want to talk about that phrase, the eternal life, uh, because it would have meant slightly, something slightly different, perhaps to what we understand it when, when we think about it. Back when John was writing, there was kind of this, uh, this two, uh, two periods or ages which was sort of the, the, the general view, particularly among the Jews. It had the present age, which was full of misery and suffering, injustice and oppression. There's still plenty of that going on in our world, isn't there, at the moment? And the other age, which was the age to come, the time when God would sort everything out, everything would be put right, they'd be rescued from evil, and people would be with him forever. And the bit translated it in this version, eternal life, doesn't quite get the full meaning of cr- meaning across, but people would have understood the eternal life as something being there from the future, the eternal future, this, this age to come, John is saying has come back and is into the present here. This age to come has come into our world now, and we can know it. This promise of a better future has broken into the world. Faith in Jesus does not mean some uh, future pie in the sky when you die, but something we can be part of now. I was trying to think of a really good analogy uh, to come up with this. And I remembered uh, a time, a long time ago, uh, I grew up in Farnborough. I used to support my local football team, uh, Farnborough Town. And one year we had a really, really good FA Cup run. And we managed to make it to the fourth round of the FA Cup. And uh, anybody who knows anything about football knows that the big teams come in at round three. Unfortunately, in round three we got Darlington, which wasn't that big. But in round four, I was really, really excited so I thought we might something, uh, might, ha- might, something really big might happen. And I remember listening to the radio, because you couldn't stream um, radio over the internet, Then listening to the radio at work that day when the FA Cup draw was, was held with excitement and anticipation. And we got drawn against Arsenal. <laughs> it was, I was so excited about the future, about what, what was going to, going to happen. I think often people think that that's what the Christian faith is like. It's that excitement about the future. So I got really excited. But John's saying our faith is not like that. It's not about excitement for the future. And then uh, I had this anticipation, and then I managed to get hold of some tickets to go and watch the match at Highbury, because it was when Arsenal still played at Highbury. And I treasured them, and I was even more excited then But John was saying, our faith is not like that either. It's not that level of excitement. And then I journeyed to the stadium, and I was getting even more excited. I was going with some friends. We met some other fans on the way there. I was even more excited. Our faith is not like that either. It's even better than that. I got into around the outside of Highbury Stadium, and I was was almost bursting at this point with excitement. It's not like that for our faith either. It's more like being in the ground, being there in the moment with everybody else around you and, and all the players that are there as well. That is what our faith is like. It's not something future to look forward to, it's actually being there in the moment. Yes, the match may not have quite started yet, but you are there. You are in the, in the crowd. You are fully part of this exciting future now. It's not something to look forward to, it's something to really be there and be part of, like uh, that excitement I felt just before kick-off in Highbury Stadium. We lost 5-1, but that's besides the point. Um, At least we scored. Jesus has brought his kingdom down to earth, John is saying. It's not something future that we're going to get to. We're in the stadium now with Jesus. It's not a ticket to hold on to that doesn't affect your life, but it's something that we are in now, something to be part of, and something that's going to capture all, should capture all our attention and our way of life. It's incredible uh, good news, and it's so good that John. And it is so good that John, although he's already told this uh, to his disciples, needs to, rem- to his followers, needs to remind them again and again not to be drawn away from it, not to come out of that stadium. That it really did happen. This amazing news really did happen, even though it's hard to believe. And to emphasize this point even further, John reminds the people that are reading about the- that Jesus r- was real, He wasn't just a thought, but he appeared on earth. That's the second point. That's my second point. It's widely believed that Jesus was real. It's widely believed that the author who wrote this is John the Apostle. That's who I think it was. Somebody that spent a lot of time with Jesus during his his life on earth. Look at the language John used. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. John is emphasizing that this eternal relevance that he's been talking about is not some wishful thinking that doesn't have any basis in reality, but rather he has seen, he has heard, he has touched with his own eyes and hands, and not just him. In the language, he uses we there as well. This truth is not some made-up story. It's not a nice thought, but it is truth. It is actual reality. But yet one of the issues the early church had to deal with was people falling away and moving away from the importance of Jesus and thinking and being dragged and, and, and away or being taken away by some new idea about who Jesus was or wasn't, drawn away from this truth, perhaps because it is so incredible, it is so hard to believe. And in this letter in particular, uh, one of the things we think that was a motivation for John writing it was that some of the people in the church were being drawn away by a new idea, that Jesus was just something to influence your way of thinking, but had no relevance to your life here on earth. There's always something, isn't there, in the world? There's always something that tries to uh, drag us away, or some new or latest idea or gadget that pulls us away. Society is always changing and altering, thinking it's found uh, the latest way of thinking, which is right, that's going to last We're right now. Society always thinks it's right in the moment, yet the values of society have changed and transformed so much and in so many different ways. As I was preparing this talk, I came across a statement in one of the the commentaries by an American journalist called Lincoln Steffens, who said this, I have seen the future and it works. Do you know when he wrote this? He wrote it after a trip to St. Petersburg in 1919, shortly after communism had been established. He'd gone there, he'd seen the veneer of communism, and thought, this is the answer. This is the way that the future's going to be. We know, of course, now the reality of communism, that actually it was rotten at its core. It resulted in the millions, uh, millions of deaths, mainly of, of, the own, of his own people in, in Soviet, enslaved in the Soviet Union. enslaved other nations before finally falling in, 19, in the early 1980s. At the start, it seemed really attractive. It's what people wanted. But the reality was, it was doomed to failure from the start. Because actually, it didn't have Jesus at the center. This is the warning in John's letter, and it's a warning I think we all need to be aware of, that if something is not based on Jesus, it's actually ultimately doomed to failure. Jesus is not a truth to move on from, but the focus of what our lives should be. It's something to live from and to center our lives on. Jesus is real, we can have a relationship with him. And that is what brings us eternal life, eternal joy, nothing else. Throughout the history of the church and the world, there have been many different ways uh, of thinking, many different influences and things that have tried to come and uh, derail the church, uh, derail Christians and pull them away from Jesus. And many, some of them have managed to pull people away. But actually, they've all ultimately... Either failed or will fail. The influence that John was writing against fizzled out and failed just 20 or 30 years later. Why? Because it didn't have the truth about Jesus at its core. The church, 2,000 years later, after Jesus came, we might be, uh, in this country, the Christian influence might be going down, but around the world, the Christian church is stronger than it has ever been. There are more Christians today than there were yesterday and there have ever been in the history of the world. Because Christ is not something to move on from. When we centre ourselves on Christ, our life will grow because it's based on something that will not die but will last forever. Final point. It might seem uh, a little like this doesn't fit, but actually it fits in perfectly well. Complete joy is found in sharing faith with others. Let me share with you something Philip said last Sunday in sort of his farewell goodbye speech. He said uh, something along the lines of, people have asked me what my biggest joy has been during my time here. I have to say, my greatest joy has been to see people offering their lives as a living sacrifice to God. I thank God for those who have started their journey in faith, started their journey of faith in Jesus Christ, coming to trust in him. It's been wonderful to see the gospel take root in your lives and see you grow. I thank God for those who have gone deeper in their faith, exploring new ways to pray and learn, finding new avenues to serve, and new opportunities to witness at work and in the community. I had a copy of his talk, so I just copied and pasted that bit in. Now, we might expect that from a minister, might we? He had great joy in seeing people grow in faith, because that's what he was here to do. But actually, John writes it in his letter as well. And it's actually what I get a lot of joy out of as well. I get great joy out of seeing people come to faith or growing in faith. And that's what John says. We write this to make our joy complete. Here's what I think is going on. When we really see and understand for ourselves what God has done for us in Christ, the mercy, the forgiveness on offer, the new life we receive, It fills us with great joy. And we naturally, we just want to share that joy with those around us. Because God didn't come just to share it with me or you. He came to share it with all humanity. And when we share it, we are actually making known what Jesus came to do and what God wants us to do. And therefore, it makes our joy complete. We get joy from knowing Christ. But our joy is complete through knowing Christ and making him known. I think it's a little bit like uh, being a parent. I'm trying to think of a good analogy. The deepest joy I get through uh, my children comes not when I have to tell them what to do, like picking up a towel that they just constantly drop on the floor in the bathroom after bath time, and then doing it after I tell them It's when they actually do it without even being told. Because you know they've taken that teaching on and have actually got it in them. It's inside them. And they're living it out. They're making the right, correct decisions and the right choices ourselves. And that's what it is, I think, with faith when we see people making and taking on the right choice, the correct choice of trusting Jesus with their life for themselves rather than telling them. It fills us with great Joy. I know sharing our faith it is really uh, hard for some of us. It's something that, that, that fills a lot of people with fear and with dread. And we're not sure uh, how to say or share our faith, what to say. Or maybe at work, even if we're allowed to. And I haven't got answers for all of those things. But what I do want to say is that if we hold on to Jesus as the centre of our lives, not just on a Sunday, but every day, we try and make him the centre, then opportunities to share our faith will come. He will give us the courage to do it in the right way and at the right times as we trust him. And those opportunities and those ways will become clearer and easier for us all as we have more confidence that what he says and who he is is real, can be trustworthy, and is something to put our lives on. It will make our joy complete. There are always going to be things in this world that try and distract us and pull us away. People think they know better that they have the latest idea that is the answer. But I can promise you, if it doesn't have Jesus at its center... The joy of it won't last. As exciting as a new iPhone or car might be, or whatever else it is, the joy of that will fade. But I don't believe the joy of trusting in Jesus will ever fade. It's not always going to be easy, but we can always have joy in what Jesus has done for us. Because we know that hope of the perfect future has broken into the now, and it's something that we are a part of already. So my prayer for us today is, as we go through this letter, we are going to learn how to put Jesus more at the centre of our lives. We will see the real change on offer through Jesus to our lives, and we'll have the confidence to share that news with joy and with excitement each and every day of our lives. Amen.